You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time. It's time. Time to get in the zone. Time to get in the zone. With the 49ers web zone. This is the No Huddle Podcast with Al, Zane, and Brian. What is up, 49ers fans? We are back with another episode of 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. We got Zane Nackby, we got Brian Randick, we got Al Sacco, and we got a special guest with us today as well. Jason Aponte is here. What's up, man? How you doing? What's up, Zane? Thank you guys for having me. Um, I'm a Web Zone alum too, so this is kind of fun for me. I think I've only done one of these uh, with Al, but it's uh, it's good to be uh, talking with you guys about this, especially after a 49ers win. And to that point, if you hear this voice and you see this face, that means only one thing victory podcast and it is a tradition we've kept on for the season we're going to keep it going man it was a struggle it was not pretty it was a slog and there's one thing that i take away from this and it is this defense may be one of the all-time great 49er defenses just phenomenal like out at every single level creating turnovers at one point I had tweeted out three separate times that this is the time when the, the, the second half shutout streak ends. Three separate times I tweeted that out. Three separate times they got to stop. So that also means that I'm the, I'm the reverse jinx too, right? So I'll just start tweeting <laughs> stuff out and the opposite will happen, right? But guys, this go. defense just nails. Unbelievable. You know what? It's like it got to the point where they got some breaks. Sure, the lobby catch, that, that seemed like a catch to me. I don't know what world that is in a catch. They had a couple drops in the end zone for New Orleans, <laughs> but you're going to need breaks. You're going to need luck. And they gave the Niners an inch and the Niners shut the door. So it, it, by the end of the second half, I was like, this is just unbelievable. And you look at some of the numbers and, and we know them, Jay, I mean, this defense, six quarters now without a TV, TD. They haven't given up without any points, I should say. They haven't given up any points in the last four games in the second half. They've only given up a hundred. Well, actually, the team's given up 173 points. They've only given up 157, if my math is right, in the 11 games. 15.7 points per game. They've only given up over 20 points, I think, twice all season, or over 19 points twice all season. It's just been insane. Did you see this coming, Jay? And like, what do you think the difference is this year between last year with the defense? 
Well, I mean, I th- I think I did. And and in terms of the weapons that the, the the Saints had, right? And and you start to think about who can really hurt you. The one the one matchup that I was a little bit concerned about was would they move Chris Olave around on Jimmy Ward? And that started to come to fruition like towards the end of that game, towards the red zone. But when you look at it, it's still Andy Dalton. And I think the difference that you have when you're looking at this defense from the other things is just one man. And if everybody's talking about somebody who's him, D'Amico Ryans is him, man. I mean, I, I mean, he is finding a way to get it done. And also, one thing that this defense is doing better than other defenses of the past is turnovers and 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 turnovers in the red zone. Turnovers when it, when you need it the most. When you it it almost feels like. People speaking into existence on Twitter. Man, we really would like a turnover here. Well, that's when Tarano Ufanga puts his helmet on the football and the ball comes out. Or there's a ball that bounces one way and somebody's able to jump on it. That seems to be the difference now. And and there's defenses that are stout, can stop, right? But if you're not turning the ball over, it's almost like you're just hoping to just stop for field goals. Now you're not waiting for that anymore. Now you're stopping them and turning the ball over and giving it back to your offense. I think that's probably the biggest difference besides D'Amico Ryan's. Yeah, I, I I don't want to understate, I think, how important Traverius Ward has been to this defense. Um, you know, last year we were talking about a defense who was uh, consistently running out there with uh, the corpse of uh, Josh Norman and uh, what was it, Dre Kirkpatrick and just, you know, Dante Johnson, right? Like just nobody's not. And I don't want to I don't want to disparage Dante Johnson. I really like Dante Johnson. The barnacle is who he is. He's integral to this team. Um, this team can't exist without a Dante Johnson on the roster. But Charvarius Ward, uh, just to have somebody on one side of the field that you know can lock it down, and they don't even play that much man-to-man. And that's why, you know, some people have said, like, hey, Ward hasn't played very well the past few games. And it's like, no, they just played a lot of zone. And so if you're playing zone, you're going to give up catches. But the nice thing about Ward and, and everybody in that secondary is that they tackle, and they tackle well. And so we haven't had a lot of missed tackles, which has been key, I think, for this defense as well. And like you said, Jay, the, just the 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 opportune turnovers, right? Um, the turnovers that you aren't expecting. What what was the stat? Camara uh, had two fumbles lost in the first four seasons of his career, or whatever, and and they 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 took it away from him twice uh, last game, which is just you know just nails. So. I, I think, like you said, it, it is D'Amico Ryans, and and I will miss him next year when he's coaching somewhere else, because uh, that is, I think, inevitable at this point. But uh, but this is it's it's a lot of fun, and you know this is a this is a league designed to to get into shootouts, a, a league designed to have a lot of high powered offenses, and to have a, a just an absolute ass kicking defense is is really fun to watch. I think the difference for me is Hufunga. And I say that because the Niners have not had a ball hawk type guy. Um, they've had a lot of good defenses, but they haven't had a guy like this. And you look at some of the plays he's made. Think of the Rams game, the first Rams games. And yeah, the Niners dominated that game, but it was a one score game late. And then Hufunga makes the pick. And in this game too, if the Saints get in the end zone, who knows what's going to happen? Because the Niners offense, and we'll talk about it, you know, wasn't really having a good day. And he puts, he lays a lick. The ball pops out again. It's it's him making the play. So Jay, with Hufunga, did you, did you see this coming with him? I mean, he was a guy a lot of people liked last year, but when you found out he was going to start and he was going to be strong safety, what were your expectations for him? And how much has he exceeded those for you? I don't think I really uh, shied away from my concerns in terms of 
being in the right spot, right? Understanding your your position, sometimes being beat, right? I, and and I laid out how he can improve on those things. I think mm-hmm. the the flashing light bulb went off for me at training camp when I was there every day, and when he had to cover one on one, and he was winning those battles consistently. He just looks completely different. There is something to the idea of certain players just being around the ball. They just are, no matter what. It always seems like whenever there's a, a fumble, a recovery, or a f- forced fumble, or an interception, he seems to be around that. There is something that needs to be said about that. There is a talent for that. He's playing with anticipation. He's being put in in places where he can be successful. He's being allowed to just fire off on the ball. He looks like he shot out of a cannon. I never said that he couldn't. I definitely have my concerns. So I will say this on your podcast. I was wrong about Tarano Hufanga. I was a big Jaquaski Tart guy. I loved what he brought in terms of the safety and what he could do. And he never gave up big plays. But when sometimes if Hufanga fires and misses a tackle because he's firing off too fast, he makes it up by turning the ball over. So you, it's give and take. I 100% am eating crow on Tarano Hufanga. He's been absolutely incredible and it, it all started in training camp you could see it coming to fruition he's just playing with confidence and D'Amico knows how to use him hey if you're listening to this podcast right now go to the nfl.com vote for Talano Hufanga for pro bowl uh he's 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 too low right now he's too low in the strong he's safety eighth, category I think, right now I saw right he's way down that's there. what we saw today yeah so let's let's uh let's get him up there more they're his not eight starting his, his four interceptions guys Still six games to play. They're the most the 49ers have had since 2014. Parrish Cox, remember him, had five that year. And uh, Bethay and Culliver both had four that year. So the Niners have not turned the ball over a lot. Got some really good defenses under Shanahan, but they haven't turned the ball over a lot. And you're seeing that more now with him. The only player they had with more than two picks was Sherman in, in 2019 at three. So to have Hufunga come in here and, yeah, just make those plays, those game-changing plays – He's got, I think, seven tackles for loss, too. So he's just really out there. He's just he's a ball hawk. And I think to me, he he's been having plays like that is a huge difference for them. Yeah. And and Jay, I want to kind of ask you about the defensive line real quick. And it's just an embarrassment of riches right now. Obviously, Eric Armstead, Juwan Kinlaw out, hope to get both of them back at some point this season. And you drop them into that defensive line that is, if not the league's best, one of the league's best defensive lines right now. With obviously Nick Bosa, just the just the superstar, but opposite him, Charles Menehu has had a really quite a very quietly good season. And can you kind of talk about that spot opposite, like Nick Bosa specifically? With you know they, they rotate guys there, they have Drake Jackson there as well, and along the line, Jordan Willis has played well. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit and and kind of that, how that's buoyed the defense a little bit? Well, for sure. And I mean, Charles Menehu, you're playing yourself into a bag. Just don't play yourself out of the bag for the 49ers. I would love to see you back. And and yes. I think it, it's a combination of the embarrassment of riches and what D'Amico has been able to do. I don't know if you guys noticed in Mexico City, they're lining up Drake Jackson inside. They had yeah. Ebukam out for this game. They've got a Menehu outside. He's finding ways like Jordan Willis was setting the edge incredibly in the Arizona game as well. They have so many guys who are so versatile. Kerry Hyder can kick inside. So much of this has to do with not only the depth, but the way that D'Amico has been able to, to figure out ways to dial it up, it's not just four and go get them now. Like, you're finding guys in different spots right now. Omenehu's playing himself into a bag. Eric Armstead shows up, and, and I think the funniest stat out of this game, and I had to double-check it when I heard it on the broadcast. The 49ers are the first in almost every single metric when it comes to defense. Almost dead last on third and short. Well, I yes, wonder why that is. Last. They're missing. Yeah, they're missing that guy in the middle who can plug up when people want to do things like that. So Eric Armstead coming back only bolsters this, but it has to do with so much of what 
They have built with their depth. They bet on guys on traits. They bet on on Chris Kosirk being able to coach them up. And then D'Amico knows how to use them and create the, the, that pressure with stunts and these and these actions and everything. It's it's something beautiful to see. So yeah, I would put them at the top of the league because they still haven't even gotten all of their guys back right now at this point. And Drake Jackson is so green right now. He's not even really playing, but he's up there with pressure rates for rookies and sacks for rookies. A lot of that has to do with how talented he is. A lot of that has to do with the fact that D'Amico is picking his spots with him. It's a beautiful time for the defensive line right now. That's the one thing that, you know, this 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 defense is built around the defensive line. We know that. That's where all of the, you know, that's where the, I would not all, but the majority of the investment is, right? You've got you've got an expensive investment in Charbarius Ward. You've also got one in Fred Warner, but the majority of, of the investment is on the defensive line. And D'Amico, like we said, he's gonna leave. He's he's going somewhere. We don't know where, but he's going somewhere. But what I hope and 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 I assume is that Chris Kusurik is probably not going with him. And that I think is the key because I think a lot of what we're talking about, a lot of the versatility, a lot of even the even some of the the stunts and things that are that are designed, a lot of that is Chris Kusurik. And so, you know, D'Amico, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He's incredible. But as long as to me, as long as Chris Kasurik stays here, I think this defense is going to be one of the best in the, in, in the league simply because he's the best defensive line coach in the NFL. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of argument uh, against that. And so, yeah, you've got guys that it's, it's like they find this, this uh, physical profile and they go, look, we can have that on the outside and we can kick that inside. And so when you get to that turbo package, when you get to, third down and you know it's a rush and all of a sudden you've got Nick Bosa uh Charles Amenahu Drake Jackson and Jordan Willis all on the line at the same time it's like who who are you blocking <laughs> like you're gonna double someone probably Nick and all of a sudden you've got all of these guys that are that are ready to wreck shop so it's I mean it like I said it, as long as as long as that that defensive line continues to play the way that they've played I, this defense is going to continue to, I, I'm not going to say pitch shutouts in the second half. Um, you know, I, I was texting with a buddy of mine, Tim, uh, and, and we're going to be at the game on Sunday. I'm excited about it, but I think that scoreless streak is, is, is probably ending in the first quarter. I would assume, uh, yeah. maybe even on the first drive, you never know, but, yeah. but, uh, I, but I, I still think on they Miami have, scoring points in this for game, sure. I'd say. but yeah, I, I but I also think that Miami, Miami hasn't played a defense, a good defense, since they played the Jets in week five. And the Jets defense wasn't even as good as it is now. So they haven't really been tested. And I think that's what I'm most excited about is let's see what this Miami offense looks like against an actual good defense and not like a Bears defense or a Texans defense or a Detroit Lions defense. You know, these historically bad defenses. This is a historically good defense. Uh, 18 straight quarters without allowing uh, nine without allowing nine points or oh sorry 19 straight quarters now allowing nine points or less which is just incredible. Jay, you said something that stuck out to me. You said the word traits, and and I don't think it's talked about enough about how the Niners built this defense because when you look at a lot of the guys who are on here and they're contributing, yeah, you got your Boses, right? You got your Armstead, your first round picks that we know about, your Chevarius Ward who they went out and signed. But remember when they got a Menahue last year? And they were three and four, three and five, whatever they will. And I'm like, who gives a shit about this trade? I'm like, this is a joke. I was all pissed, right? <laughs> and you look at some of these other guys. They brought in Greenlaw as a fifth rounder, who Hufunga was a late round pick. Manuel Mosley, who, who the who the hell was he when he came in? Fred Kevin Warner, Kevin, third round. Yeah, Warner was a third rounder. So you look at all these guys that they come in, and there's not 
you know, stars everywhere. It's kind of guys that are becoming stars, but it was guys like you said, and that's a word that uh, it was traits. They just see these traits in these guys and they plug them in and they built them into this fantastic defense. And I, I don't think they've gotten enough credit for that. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is we we kind of give the, the front office some shit sometimes and we're like, well, you missed on this draft pick. But mm-hmm. in the same way, when you talk about that, you have to give them their props for finding Jordan Willis for a Menahue. I mean, they got Arden Key paid. Arden Key was somebody who was drafted very highly by the Raiders mm-hmm. and, and the Jaguars gave him a bag. It's them being able to identify traits that they're able to get the most out of with Chris Kosarek. And look at what's happening. I mean, Charles Amenhew, like you said, was a bit of a cast off the Texans. And you feel like that trade is not a needle mover and all. And now look, Amenhew's playing himself into a contract. I mean, Kerry yeah. Hyder has this relationship with, with Chris Kosarek. In 2020, he becomes a sack leader when Nick Bosa goes down. He goes to Seattle, comes right back, and now he's a rotational piece. I think there, there needs to be more of a discussion and more flowers given to the front office for being able to identify these undrafted free agents, guys that they're able to, like Aziz Al-Shair, like all mm-hmm. of these guys, that you're able to not only just have them step in and play snaps, but be impactful players and know that you have the coaching staff that's able to bring all that out. I think that is something that is lost because we just get lost in the sauce about draft picks. Yeah, and I'll never yeah. knock. I'll never knock the front office again. Yeah. Even the offensive line, we were bitching about that, right? Like Brendel, oh god, he's a journeyman. He's almost thirty, and you know they're they're starting Burford already, and Aaron Banks is a bust. And I mean, Banks had a rough game this past game, but he's been great. These guys have been really good, really, really good. So you get pissed because McGlinchey maybe isn't well. He definitely isn't what you want in a top ten tackle. But he's not a bad player. He has some bad plays. He's not. I don't think he's a bad player, but they've done a really good job overall. Just look, this is one of the best rosters in the NFL. Like, I don't know how anybody, if you want to talk about the QB stuff, we'll see, but I don't know. Anybody can not front office after what they put together. Yeah. Jordan Willis came over from the jets for a seventh round pick. That was another trade that they made. And now he's been here for, you know, however And Jordan Willis, Jordan Willis doesn't have to pay for a drink in the Bay area ever again in his life, (laughs) right? Like again, look what you gave up for that. And he literally has one of the most special plays in 49ers playoff history. And again, just speaks to to them being able able to identify guys that they know they can get the most out of. Absolutely. And and as this team moves forward, it's, you know me, I can be as, I'm very pessimistic and I can always find things wrong. And Al's our wet blanket. It's the new, That's the know, new fan in it is right. You <laughs> feel like a little bit, right. We're both East coast guys, yep. Like that's how we roll. Like you just, we're always pissed. We're always waiting for the next yeah. thing. You know, we always hold our teams to a high standard, but now I'm coming around. Look, they're really inconsistent. And I, if they lost three of the next four, I'd probably be like, yeah, I'm not surprised if they went out the rest of the year, I'd be like, I'm not surprised. But what they've built on the field, it's it's really exciting. And it, and it starts with that defense. And I'm feeling really this game, even though it was you know only three nothing and then only 10 nothing, I never thought they were going to lose. Not once because uh, I don't think the Saints were going to score. But that's the kind of feeling you get right now is just I feel like they're going to find a way right now. And I think that's that's the biggest compliment I can give them. I also think we gloss over the fact that the Saints came into this game averaging the same amount of points per game as the 49ers did on offense. It's 22 point something for the Saints and I think maybe 23 for the 49ers after that uh, Monday night game. But to 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 shut a team like that out is impressive as hell. And not only that, but a team that hasn't been shut out since 2001 
But I think the most yeah, unique Drew, Drew Brees is a lot different than any Dalton. That's <laughs> sure, and that's fine. But but Drew Brees wasn't there in two thousand one. That's the thing is it's that's a twenty. I mean, we're talking twenty years. That's an wasn't impressive it Aaron Banks? Uh, Aaron Brooks? No, I mean, Aaron I mean, in the, like it was impressive shutting out the Saints maybe like eighteen the last oh, twenty years. Yeah, not so much mm-hmm. in the last. You know, it's not the same. Well, like I said, they've been scoring twenty-two points a game. It's not like they're the one of the worst offenses in in the, in the NFL. Um, but I think the most imp- the most impressive stat that I saw was the last four times the Saints have been shut out. It's been by the 49ers. It's like, how does that? Mm-hmm. How does something that. like that happen? That's crazy. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. You know what? So I think one is thing most so- impressive. Oh, I'm sorry, Al. No, go ahead, Jay. Well, one thing ahead. one thing I found that was impressive is is that last stretch of the game, right? It's the end of the game. You guys are tired, and they had, like, three red zone opportunities, right? And I understand it's four-down territory. You're not going to take your field goals there or anything like that. That could have easily ended the streak if they wanted to be jerks about it. But they're trying to win the game, right? But being able to keep them out of the end zone that close, like, again, there there still needs to be something to said about that. I don't care if that's a high school team or a college team. You get three red zone trips in a row like that, like, at the end of the game. One of those has to be converted somehow if you're yeah. going to be doing four four down territory. So I thought that was the most impressive part of that. And then Nick yeah. Bosa ending it with that fourth down sack was yeah he's just been incredible perfect all, all, incredible all season perfect. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to get into this Moster interview too a little bit, but before I do that, I, I do want to talk about the just ever frustrating offense. Cause it looked like last week they had it together and everybody's getting involved. And then this week again, it, it was a bit of a slog. The two guys that stuck out to me really a lot were um, obviously Juwan Jennings, who just keeps making big catches. I mean, listen, you look at the chargers game. If he doesn't make those catches on third down, they might not win that game. This game too. If he doesn't have that drive before the end of the half, and what do you have four catches and a touchdown on that drive? And he catches the tip ball, just huge third down conversions. They maybe didn't win this game because maybe they take some field goals, the Saints, when they're in closer and who knows what happens. So he has made, you know, he's not the guy, the name that you think of. And I was just on a Saints podcast previewing the game last week. And they said, Al, who's the one guy that, you know, isn't Debo or Kittle or that we have to worry about? I was like, Juwan Jennings, because he makes some really big catches. And nice. thankfully, he didn't make me look like an idiot. And he came through. <laughs> so he, he was the first one. The second one to me, and look, everybody's going to bitch and complain. I thought Jimmy Garoppolo played tough as hell. He got his ass kicked. He yeah, got his ass kicked, and he just kept getting up. And again, is he an elite guy, Patrick Mahomes? He's saying, no, it's not him. But he played a tough game, and he did enough to win. And he's just somebody who just, I don't know, man, he just keeps earning my respect week after week. Yeah, third Oregon Life, third and Juwan. I love that. I love that nickname. I also thought Chains. Chains would be a good nickname for him, right? Because he moves the chains every time he catches the ball. Um Jimmy Garoppolo <clears throat> made it through this game, and now it's four games in a row that he hasn't thrown an interception in parentheses that counted, right? Obviously, he threw <laughs> that big one. Um, and, you know, uh, r- speaking of uh, where you were talking off air about Rich Madrid, uh, Rich had uh, Rich had a clip of that on uh, on the timeline today. And that interception, I mean, obviously Jimmy threw it, but he threw the ball to the spot that Ray Ray McLeod was supposed to be. The only issue is McLeod got bumped off his route 
by that uh, that that dropping linebacker. And the DB actually ran what was the correct route, which is why he was exactly where he was when he caught the interception. So again, Jimmy, Jimmy threw it, but at the same time, part of that is he's throwing to the spot that his player is supposed to be. And that's what this offense is predicated on, right? It's predicated on being where you need to be and knowing where that's going to be and, and, and making the throw. And so Jimmy was tough as nails in this game. And, you know, the, the offensive line got their ass kicked. And that was the issue for the offense is that the offensive line never once really established themselves on the line of scrimmage, which is what this offense has to do if it's going to be successful. You know, I was, I was thinking about it today and the reality of Jimmy Garoppolo as a quarterback is that if you wanted to point to one thing that is elite about Jimmy, it's, it's his ability on third down. I think his third down, uh, he's just absolute nails on third down. And, and in this game, he was nine of 13 for 80 yards. Um, and I think, I, I think those were, I think he converted all nine. Um, well, the problem with that is that in order to be elite at that, you've also got to make sure that you're staying ahead of the chains, right? With the ground game and everything like that, these third downs need to be manageable. And so when Jimmy Garoppolo is operating your offense, your offense is operating on a, on a slim margin of error. And if any of those, if anything happens, right, that, that bumps you off of your, your margin, which in this case was the saints defensive line, absolutely taking it to the 49ers offensive line. This offense is not going to look good. And so I think that was the biggest issue. I don't think it was Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't even think it was Kyle Shanahan. I think it was the Saints defense that absolutely took it to the 49ers offensive line. And then on top of that, you're talking about a team that didn't get back to Santa Clara until Tuesday morning. You had Thanksgiving on Thursday. They didn't even have an actual practice until Friday. And again, this is an offense predicated on rhythm and things like that. And so I'm willing to take a look at this game and go, hey, this was a trap game, right? You're looking ahead at, at, at that Miami game this week against Mike McDaniel. Tom Brady comes in in two weeks, and then you've got Seattle the week after that, right? This was a game that would could easily be overlooked. And on top of that, you just had a wonky travel schedule along with the holiday and all of that. I'm just willing to chalk it up to we escaped we got what we needed to. We got 13 points. We only needed three. Hell, we only needed two, right? They pitched a shutout. So a win is a win in the win, you know, in the NFL. We're not getting style points. This isn't college. We're not, it doesn't matter what our margin of victory is. I'm gonna celebrate the win. I'm gonna celebrate the shutout. And I'm gonna say, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget about this offensive performance and and look to next week. Now, next week against a, a, a much worse defense in the Miami Dolphins. If we see if we see something like this, which perhaps we could, right? Uh, news came, news broke uh, right before we started recording. Elijah Mitchell, another MCL sprain, another six to eight weeks uh, for recovery. I'm not sure uh, you guys can speak to it. I don't know if it's the same MCL or if it's a different one. Um, no, I'm not sure. Um, but that's a big part of your offense that's gone now. Um, so maybe they look a little bit disjointed. Also, Christian McCaffrey dealing with some what Kyle Shanahan called knee irritation. Uh, so again, we could see it, but but I'm not I, I, I don't know that I'm like, oh man, last Monday was the aberration and now we're back to sucking again. I'm I think there's a lot of factors that went into it, and I'm willing to I'm willing to wait and see what happens next week. 
I think it's very fair to say that the New Orleans Saints getting back Marcus Davenport and Cameron Jordan were huge. And I think people kind of glossed over that. Those aren't mm-hmm. just starters. Those are impact players. Dennis Allen's a defensive guy. I also think that they looked at this game and saw what was right in front of them. The Tampa Bay Bucks just lost right before they started playing against the Cleveland Browns. You have a chance to jump in the first place, regardless of your record. I don't care if you're five and seven. The goal is to, to you know, take the chokehold on your division. 100%. So you have to give credit to the Saints. Also, what is this about the Saints and hurting quarterbacks and hurting oh 49ers God. quarterbacks? I just it's it's so much PTSD of Bounty Gate, right? They're falling on Garoppolo's leg, they're hitting him in the face, they're not calling anything. And I'm just like, what is it? Why is it the Saints? We can't even blame uh the guy. I I'm blanking on his name. I hate him so much. I forget his name. Um, but it's it's so crazy to me that it continues to be the Saints, and also we can totally throw out the Jimmy Garoppolo isn't tough narrative. I mean, yep, down man. the stretch, he played with what he played with. He kept fighting, and I think to Brian's point, all of those factors are important when you think about this game, right? And I think those are the outside factors, aside from the X's and O's and the roster and the coaching that don't really get brought up. But I'm more encouraged by this win than anything, and this isn't me just being Homer positive. It's because things don't go the way that you expect them to at times. You have to find ways to scratch and claw and win games, right? Everything right. is not going to be you rolling over the Cardinals on hard knocks on Mexico City, right? Like, that's not how these games are going to go. The Saints played a great game. They deserve credit. But the 49ers deserve credit for finding a way to win. Good teams find ways to win these games. Bad teams find ways to lose those games. And this doesn't seem to be a bad team because they're finding ways to scratch and claw and win games. And that's what I walked away with more, more than anything. Yeah, and two I want to hold on now. Two things, real quick. One, Greg Williams. Is that who you were thinking of? Yes, God. Greg oh, Williams, God, defensive coordinator for the Saints. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, our illustrious uh, site editor, uh, David Bonilla, left MCL not right like last time. So it is the different MCL. So now he has two week MCLs. So that's cool. And I want to ask you guys about the running game because I have some stats that were a little bit worrisome to me with this Mitchell. But before I do, Jay, I want to ask you because. You know, we've been talking for a couple, probably a couple of years now here, right? Year and a half, something like that. And how yep. much of it has been about the quarterback situation and Jimmy Garoppolo mm-hmm. and things like that? I'm um, just to the point. He's had a really good season. We, we know that. And you know, he's had some almost interceptions, whatever. His interception percentage is 1.3 right now, which is really just top low. four, top in four in the NFL. Yeah. Only two of Hertz and Brady have, have a, have a mm-hmm. better one right now. I'm just to the point right now with him where like, we know what he is if he hasn't earned your respect with what he's been through and, and how tough he's been, like you said, and, and again, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not going to throw for He is what he is, but they're winning. The team seems to rally around him. Don't we just kind of have to be done dissecting every single game with him and just kind of move on knowing what he is and just see how we could win games here. Absolutely. Al. And this is what's made this season. So yeah, easy. Al Sacco was saying this. Yes. Done. This is this is what's made this season so easy for me dissecting this team, right? And I'm not as seasoned as you are, Al, right? Like, you know, you're you're somebody I look up to when it comes to this, right? Appreciate you. But I I have I I am so secure and so safe now at this point where I know what Jimmy is, okay? He's going to have games that he ropes you in, he's going to have games that you just but I'm fine with that now. Here's the here's the thing that I think is the most comforting. Without Jimmy Garoppolo, and let's just say it was Trey Lance and Sudfeld or Trey Lance and Purdy, season's over. So thank you, Jimmy. And you do need to give him credit for the way that he's handled all this. Absolutely. Everybody always wants to say, well, you know, I wouldn't care if I was a millionaire. Okay, tell that to Baker Mayfield, who acted like an absolute baby as soon as Deshaun Watson's name was even brought up before he was even Mm -hmm. brought there. 
right? Jimmy Garoppolo never folded under that. I think what people lose is after the Rams game, the NFC Championship game, he said, this was the hardest season of my career. I would not wish this on anyone, but he never complained. Now, whether he really felt that way or not, the one thing that you know Jimmy Garoppolo is going to do is go to that podium and say the right thing. And you know what? This team loves him. And thank God he's here because if Brock Purdy was playing, I don't want to be that guy. But this season was we could like season it just dope. would be done. I'm just and, and and there is a point where I feel now that is so easy to analyze this because I know what it is. I don't even get mad anymore. If he throws an interception in the red zone or something like that, it, it doesn't even make me mad anymore. You know why? I know what to expect. And there needs to be some sort of comfort level with that. 49er fans should feel a little bit safe knowing that you know what this offense is going to be operating and looking like as opposed to not knowing what it would look like under Nate Sudfeld or Brock Purdy. So again, it's done. I don't feel the need to post the all 22 clip when he misses a read. I don't feel the need to throw the almost interception up there. It doesn't count. And I feel that 49ers fans, when you bring up, well, they dropped the pick or he threw a pick. Please just watch another game, please. I watched Tua on, <laughs> on Monday Night Football against the Pittsburgh Steelers oh, throw the Steelers. four balls, throw four, four <laughs> yeah. balls right into their chest and they dropped them. But nobody ever brings up almost interceptions with anybody but Jimmy. I'm done dissecting him at this point. I know what he is. Go win games now at this point. And it's so easy. I think he is playing a little bit more clear because he knows that nobody wants Brock Purdy to play. Like Trey Lance, at least last year, he was dynamic. You could say, I want to see Trey. Nobody wants to see Brock Purdy. I'm right. sorry. And, and that's a good point. Like the quarterback play has been shit this year for the most part. If you're only watching Niners games, maybe you don't understand that. But if you're watching around the league like me, I watch every second of football as I can until my wife is going to divorce me. But I do. And like the quarterback play is, is terrible. So like I'm, I'm, I watch Jimmy play and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to take this all day. All day. He's been a top probably 10 to 12 QB in the league this year. QB play has been yes. garbage. All right, I want to ask you guys too, Brian and Jay. So Mitchell gets hurt. And what I've seen the last three games from Mitchell coming back, okay, he, he had 18 carries for 89 yards, nine carries for 59 yards, and seven for 35 this past game before he got hurt. They've been starting off with McCaffrey, and then Mitchell comes in and just lays the hammer down on people. We've been talking about that. He looks fast. He looks quick. He looks strong. We know McCaffrey is an all-world running back but his last three games 14 carries for 38 yards seven carries for 39 11 carries for 32 so two of his last three games he's been under 2.9 yards per attempt i'm a little concerned about this mitchell injury and we we think maybe jordan mason's gonna play i'm i fully expect kyle to throw kevin coleman in her face again fully expect to turn on the game and, and it's you know right like it's gonna be mitchell and coleman or i'm sorry uh mccaffrey and coleman there's no doubt in my mind Brian, what do you think? Like, how big is this injury? Am I, am I blowing this up too much or can this really derail them? Um, I don't think you're blowing it up too much. I, I do think it's a it's a big loss. And I think <clears throat> it feels like once they made this McCaffrey trade and they knew that Mitchell was coming back, it, it genuinely felt like Kyle had this idea or this plan in his head. He was like, listen, I'm featuring CMC in the first half, maybe into the third quarter, right, where we're going to get a lead. And then we're going to just sit on these on these teams. We're going to run Elijah Mitchell, uh, who's fresh, who has fresh legs, runs hard. And we're going to ice this game with our running game. And with Mitchell going out, that's a blow. But the role that he was playing, I genuinely believe can be filled by Jordan Mason, by Ty Davis Price, and, and by Tevin Coleman, right? It's this role of beast you know, up the middle and, and wearing these teams down. And it, I'll tell you what, I was genuinely impressed with Jordan Mason at the end of that saints game. 
he was running hard. He was running fierce. He was taking dudes out and he was getting seven yards a clip. I th- I believe he averaged over six yards a carry in the carries that he got. Now he didn't get a ton. And, and the reason that Mason was in the game is because CMC and Mitchell are the backs. And then Mason, Mason is better on special teams than, than TDP is, which is why he's up on, on the 46 during game days with Mitchell down. I believe it's either going to be, I, I think Mason has, I think Mason has his spot secured. So it's either going to be Coleman or it's going to be TDP. Um, I would hope TDP just because you spent a third round pick on him, but I mean, it's sunk cost already, right? You can't, you can't talk about it too much, but um, I, I genuinely believe that if, if Mason is given a shot, I think he's going to impress people. I was super impressed with him and Jason, you could speak to him uh, in camp. Cause you saw him in camp. I know that he turned some heads in camp and part of why he hasn't been featured in the offense much is because I think there's some, some uh, blocking issues that he has some protection issues, right. That I think they're waiting for him to, to pick up a little bit more, but now that we're this far into the season, I would imagine that he's gotten better at it. So I, I genuinely, I've, I've been on the Jordan Mason hype train since training camp. And, and, and I hope he, I genuinely hope he gets a shot. And if he does, I think he's going to impress. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I make no bones about it at training camp. I was there nearly every single day and he was the most consistent running back on the field. Didn't matter. Elijah Mitchell, Trey Sermon did not matter. TDP every single day. Jordan Mason ran the football like it was the last time that he was ever going to touch the football. And that's kind of what I saw in Mexico City again. And I'm like, it's still there. Like, he felt like, okay, I'm not going to touch this ball again because of Mitchell McCaffrey, but I'm not just going to, like, lazily go about it. And sure, he is way too valuable right now to this roster in terms of what he does on special teams. That's why he's up on game days. You, you absolutely nailed that. I think what most impressed me at the end of this Saints game is the Saints knew. So Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball 28 times, right, in the first half. He ended up with 37 attempts. So he threw the ball nine times in mm-hmm. the second half. So the Saints know exactly what's coming, right? They know exactly what's coming, and you still can't stop it. And I think that's what Jordan Mason is. He runs hard. He's very physical. Sure, I hope he improves on all those things. But when people bring up the Jeff Wilson trade, this is why I'm a little bit confused, right? Now, sure, in hindsight, everything is 2020. Well, why did you trade Jeff Wilson? You could certainly use him now. Well, an undrafted free agent is asking for for a trade because he doesn't want to go back to being an insurance policy, and I don't blame him. You have this confidence in Mitchell. You kind of have in the back of your mind, hey, a push comes to shove. Here comes Jordan Mason, and you're able to flip Jeff Wilson Jr. for a fifth-round pick, which if for certain teams a fifth-round pick means nothing. For the 49ers, a fifth-round pick could be George Kittle or Talanoa. Right. So like so for for people to just continuously bang this drum about you shouldn't have traded Jeff Wilson, I think it's good business and you do it 10 out of 10 times. Now, I think what's more concerning is the fact that CDP can't see the field. And this is back to back years on of a third round running back at this point, man. And it's like, damn, third round is no joke. Like, you know, you can have a really impact, an impact player in every third round. Right. Like, I don't Mm want to bring this up, but Jalen Hurd over Terry McLaurin and like I can go all the way back or like all the way down in the third round. So I think Mason's going to be fine. And I think that was part of the confidence in moving on from Jeff Wilson Jr. is that he is impactful on both sides and he is a hard worker. This is the thing about Kyle Shanahan teams. If you're not going to make your teeth or you're not going to cut your teeth doing something, right, maybe you may not get your reps running 
the ball. But if I got you on special teams, if you're not going to do anything when the opportunity is called, that's what I love about Sammy Womack. Sammy Womack loses his job at nickel. Well, guess what? He's on special teams and he's making plays. You have to find a way to contribute. And I think Jordan Mason is fully bought into that. And I think he's been waiting for his moment. If he does get his chance, fully expect, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, I'll talk me into it. I think it's totally going to be Tevin Coleman with the do-rag and everything because, you know, pass protection, Kyle's guys, I know who it is. But if Jordan Mason can kind of carve out this role as like the closer, right, on a drive when you really want to bleed yeah. everything out and finish, I think that that's exactly what he's suited for. He's not wearing that 24 because that was the only number available. He yeah. runs He runs a lot like Jeff Wilson. He reminds me a lot of Jeff Wilson. So, yeah. again, take that undrafted free agent, flip him for a fifth rounder, replace him with the other undrafted free agent that you have on the squad, for sure. Yeah, Tevin Coleman, nine carries for 17 yards on Sunday. Book it. Book it. I mean, as long as it's, if it's, I mean, how do we get Tevin Coleman to visualize like the water boy, the Carolina Panthers? If he can look across and see the Carolina Panthers, Tevin Coleman's going off for three touchdowns. Confirm. Like we have to find a way to to hypnotize him to see the Panthers. I got to ask you guys, did you think anything? Well, okay. I read the Moster article on Sunday and I don't like whatever. And then he comes out and says it's clickbait. I thought it would die really quickly. And basically the couple things that he said that were of note. He, he said, we have a better talent here, meaning in Miami. Um, it's going to get spooky. So that was the first thing he said that was, or one of the things he said that was a little bit like, ah, that's eye-opening to me. He also said that we have a quarterback here in Miami again who can actually sling it. He said that he had, he had said good things about Garoppolo too. That's the quote that he took. But when you say can actually swing it, that is sort of implying. And then he talked about the Niners that, you know, they tried to maybe make him come back a little bit too soon from his injury. Now, every team in the NFL does that. So that's, it's a, it's a shitty part of the league, but most teams try to get their players back on. I thought it would kind of go away. I thought it was like, Oh, whatever, a Twitter thing on a Sunday, you know, that's when, that's when news drops for things like that. Um, but then Debo tweeted something today and I don't have the exact tweet. I don't know if you guys do. I think I saw a mini Hugh said something about it. He said, Debo said, Raheem, be real with yourself. And then two laugh, laugh, cry emojis. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, maybe this is going to have some shelf life. Did you, do you guys, did you guys think anything of this? What are your thoughts on it? Um, the, the stuff about the training staff, I didn't, I didn't blink an eye at because when you look at it from a business perspective, the 49ers are trying to squeeze the most out of you as they can. Right. And if they think they can get you back on the field, they're going to. And I also have no problem with Raheem Mostert saying, I don't want to play with this hole in my knee. I'm going to look out for myself because when franchises are done with you and they chew you up and spit you out, you get nothing. So take care of yourself. I had no problem with that part of it. None. The talent part, uh, that depends on who you ask, right? Like, because I can make the argument, obviously, Kittle clears Gusecki. Um, mm. I think that the Dolphins wide receivers are probably better than Debo and Ayuk. I would say yeah. that, uh, you know, Tyreek and Waddle. Christian McCaffrey's better than most of the Wilson. That's why Wilson's over there, right? Like, at this mm-hmm. point, I think the 49ers offensive line is better. And then this is the stuff that really gets me in trouble is because people don't understand when I say, Jimmy Garoppolo and Tua are stylistically the same, the same sort of quarterback. Like, mm-hmm. like literally, they're asked to do the same things. Get the ball out on time. Please get it to your playmakers. Read the defense and just move and get the ball out. Don't throw it down the field unless the guy's wide, wide open. So, sure, I if you want to say Tua's better than Jimmy, got you. And what is he supposed to say? Is he supposed to say, damn, I really miss Jimmy and those guys. They're way more talented. Right. Like, he's not going to say that. But I do understand the idea that Tua, we haven't seen his ceiling yet, right? His ceiling ceiling. And I think we're starting to see it. I think we've seen Jimmy's ceiling. So I think it's fair for anybody to say that Tua is better than Jimmy. But the part that got Raheem in trouble 
was the way he phrased it. When you say he can actually sling it after the question was asked, what is the difference between this offense and that offense? We have a quarterback who can actually sling it. You leave that quote open to interpretation. You put yourself out there and put yourself in a bad spot. There's nothing wrong with saying, I love what Jimmy did. I have fun. I, I believe in Tua. What's wrong with that? That is not a slight at either of those guys. He should have just worded it better. The fact that he had to come out and say something about it lets you know that he's trying to walk it back. And it definitely wasn't something that was taken out of context. There's no more other context that's going to be added to it. But the Tua and Jimmy thing is really funny to me because Tua just strikes me as left-handed younger Jimmy with a better deep ball, I think, at this point. Like, they're literally asked to do the same exact thing. So I I don't understand the whole, like, and then people are coming at me on YouTube. Oh, my God, are you even watching Tua play? Yes, stylistically, I am watching him play. I am watching him be a guy who gets it to Tyreek Hill so he can shake three defenders and go. The same exact thing with Waddle. Like, he's just playing very well right now. But he's not being asked to do anything more than Jimmy Garoppolo is being uh, being asked. I yeah, I had some Dolphin fans in in my mentions today. Oh, they're coming. And yeah, yeah, brace yourself, 49ers yeah, fans. All, they are not all, playing. They're not playing. Yeah, all all twenty seven of them. Um, but <laughs> well, I do not subscribe to that. That's his opinion and not mine. Please do not flood my mentions. But here's the thing: you look at you look at Tua, right? And and what they what they are clinging to is like. Uh, uh, according to PFF, Tua ranks first in all these categories, right? And even some actual counting stats, Tua is ranked first, right? But then you look at the production, right? And you look at the production, Tua has 180 more yards than Jimmy and has accounted for one more touchdown and one less interception, right? Because Tua has 19 touchdowns. Jimmy has 15 touchdowns, but he also has two rushing touchdowns. So 17 touchdowns total. Sorry, two extra touchdowns, one less interception. So great. Yeah. You want to toot your horn that Tua is ranked by PFF as the best quarterback in the NFL? Great. You're losing me because nobody's better than Patrick Mahomes. So even if PFF has him ranked first, if you're going to cling to that, that tells me that you're just trying to push a narrative. Uh, and then on top of that, it's like, okay, great. This is where he's ranked. But what are we, it's production. Production is what matters, right? Production is what we care about. And production wise, they've produced the same this season. They are the same and they run the same offense and they're asked to do the same thing. The only thing that Tua has on Jimmy is uh, age. And like you said, Jay, a little bit better uh, uh, deep ball but just a little bit better. And so I think for Raheem, if he would have just said, we have a quarterback who's slinging it, great. You're right. You do, right? Because Tua is slinging it more than Jimmy is. Uh, But part of that, I think, has to do with the relationship that Tua has with Mike McDaniel versus the relationship that Jimmy Garoppolo has with Kyle Shanahan. You know, I said this on Twitter earlier today. I think the thing that Mike McDaniel has on Kyle Shanahan is his people skills. And, and he has done an amazing job with Tua, an amazing job. And Tua's playing really well. And I haven't argued at all that Tua isn't playing well. All I'm saying is stop being delusional and saying that Tua is in a different stratosphere as Jimmy. He's not. They're in the same stratosphere, quite literally, the same one, the same exact one. So the only the only umbrage that I took with what Raheem said and and perhaps what what bothered me is more the writer than the player and his quote was that it made it seem like Raheem was shitting on the 49ers for the way that they handle injuries. When in reality, he's on a team with, uh, he's on the same team 
that almost arguably got their quarterback killed, right? I mean, we all watched. We all saw what happened to Tua. We saw the fingers. We saw all of it, right? So it feels a little bit like glass, you know, throwing stones in glass houses when you're talking about what happened in, in San Francisco to you when the squad that you're on right now is doing the same thing. Really what it is, as, as you said, Jay, is an NFL issue, right? As long as, as, as long as job security for head coaches and front office personnel is tied to winning, you are always going to have teams that are pushing players to come back sooner than they need to be. It's just the reality of the business. Is it good? No. Should we try and change things? Absolutely, especially if you continue to say that player safety is, is important to you as an organization. Well, we got to see it, right? But don't try and single out the 49ers organization when it's every organization. And that's that's really what I took offense, not offense. That's what I took umbrage with. All right, guys, we're up against it. But Jay, before we get out of here, Zane introduced you, but I don't think he really introduced you the way I I, I was going to necessarily do it. So we want to, you know, we have guests on the show. And one thing we want to do is move forward. We want to highlight content creators. There's so many good ones for the 49ers. And this guy right here is on fire right now, who we have on the show. And dude, I want to let you plug it all because I don't even know where to start. So you're, you're doing Niners Nation, right? You got the Sprint Right pod with Andrew. What's Andrew's last name? Because I know I'm going to screw it up. Pasquini. Pasquini. Who's a, Andrew's a great dude. You guys do a great job with that. You got your YouTube station, which is great. And I was scrolling through Twitter last night and I'm seeing pictures of like some random dude's kids with you in the background on the TV. <laughs> and I'm like, he's every, he's everywhere. Like Jay, awesome. what are, this awesome. guy's awesome. everywhere. So yeah, is, if there's tell, tell the people, man, plug all your stuff. Because again, if, if you guys aren't paying attention to Jay, he's one of the best doing it right now. So. Oh, that, that is so, um, humbling to hear from somebody that I look up to, um, that I I've looked up to, you know, Brian's a very good friend of mine. We've, we've, I've been lucky enough to spend time with him. So, you know, you guys ask this, no question, but yeah, Al, you know, like when I first got into this whole content creating thing, you were one of the first people that I, I looked to, right. You know, you're, you're one of the, I don't want to say that. I don't want this to come off negative. You're one of the OGs. The OGs. You just are. You're just an OG. No, not a, not an old man. OG. Just an original gangster man of this. So I appreciate you, man. And that really means a lot coming from you. But yeah, um, Niners Nation um, article per day on there. Niners Nation Podcast Network, wherever you get your um, podcast, audio podcast. I do uh, Bully Ball with Steph Sanchez on there. My YouTube channel is just type in Jason Aponte. That's where you'll find me and Andrew. But I do shows all week on there. Um, I know I'm leaving other stuff out. Oh no, but I, I think that's it, honestly. So not as nation really where it's at, but yeah, I, I and 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 on Twitter right here, Jason Aponte two one zero three. But you know, it's really nice to hear that from you, Al Brian. You know, you're my guy, man. You know, I always Absolutely. got you uh, whenever. But uh, yeah, man, this was this was <laughs> a lot of fun. Forty nine er web zone alum, man, coming back home. Shout out to David Benia too. Um, he was the first guy that allowed me to write for any any site. Gave me a ton of great advice. I'll always be appreciative. So what David did for me, and anytime that I had a question, he's always accessible. One of the nicest guys in here, man. Shout out to 49, 49ers web zone. 100%. He, yeah. he heard you because he's watching this show right now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm I glad. Like you, guys, yeah. you guys are coming in throwing like 98 miles an hour, and I'm still getting people out, but I'm throwing like 91. I, I got junk. Hey, you know I mean? you're getting it done, man. You're getting it done. Like, like crafty look, veteran, man. Yeah, the crafty yeah Madison veteran. Bumgarner got, got the big outs. Like, if I could appeal to the Giants fans, Madison Bumgarner got the big outs, yeah. right? And he found ways to get it done. Hey, get the big outs. That's it. I'll, like, again, I'm not the only one who feels this way. So, you you know, uh, all of the contributions that you have. So, yeah, man, I, I really appreciate it to hear those words from Appreciate it. All right, guys, we got to get out of here. For Brian and Jason, I'm out. Later.
2400 Sports is an Odyssey company.